0: This weekend, a fire in Iran's notorious Evin prison provided visual evidence that after a month of protests, Iran has not settled down. Smoke was seen rising from the facility and gunshots were heard. The Iranian government says the fire is unrelated to the protests, but for many Iranians, it's hard to trust the government right now. Meanwhile, the UK and the EU are sanctioning Iran's Morality Police and Canada's sanctioned members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard. When 22-year-old Mahsa Amini was killed, her image, and the image of what happened to her, spread online. Now, Mahsa Amini is the most popular hashtag in the world. So what stoked this social media movement and an army of Gen Z girls in Iran? I'm Hala mohia and this is The Take.
1: My name is Holly Diagoras. I'm a non-resident senior fellow at the Washington-based think tank, the Atlantic Council. I'm also an Iranian-American.
0: And what Holly focuses on is social media in Iran. Iranian social media habits and how the Islamic Republic's repressing the online space. Before these protests broke out a month ago, Holly wrote a report, Iranians on hashtag social media. It was groundbreaking. She'd been following a number of young Iranian women posting about clothes and fashion trends in Tehran. They're like influencers everywhere, she says. They just want the ability to be themselves, like ordinary teenagers. And now, as these same women take on their government, the world is watching and asking Holly about the research she's done. It's been extensively cited in the media since the protests broke out. After September 16th, pictures of Mahsa Amini went viral. As Iranians responded, it was clear much of this protest movement would be happening online. Photos of her at the ICU had gone viral with the
1: phrase hashtag and in the three days after that, when she died from the beating that she had endured by the so-called morality police, the pictures of her parents holding each other, and you could see the agony. Almost immediately, protests broke out. The story had gone so viral in the country. Even the viral video of the funeral, that anger that had built up online quickly poured into the streets, in part because Gen Z was a driving force and they were amplifying it. Videos of women starting to cut their hair had gone online. And I also saw Iranian boys on TikTok shaving
0: their heads in solidarity as well. And now, Iranians of every age are a part of some of the most daring protests since the country's revolution in 1979. But choosing to protest is not an easy decision. It could mean detention, prison time, and even death. Rights groups now say 240 protesters were killed by Iranian security forces. Dozens of children. Holly says she's seen different reactions from the influencers she follows.
1: Some have become a little more political since the protests have broken out. Others are airing with caution. They're not saying anything. For example, I follow an Instagram influencer and she's still doing her thing. Her posts seem to insinuate that all things are well.
0: That's not the case with everyone Holly is following, though. She took a special look at Gen Z, the youngest generation now. They're in their tweens, teens and early 20s. They're well-read and articulate. Their government might be
1: teaching them one thing at school, but thanks to the internet, they're able to do their own research. They're self-aware Gen Z is a force to be reckoned with, and they post vlogs about their lives. They do TikTok dance videos. They take selfies, the differences. They live in the Islamic Republic of Iran. And there are a lot of rules that could potentially
0: get them jailed. But what Holly is so impressed by is the girls and their role in this protest movement.
1: What's been so incredibly moving and fascinating to watch is just how they've been leading the protests. We've seen viral videos and images of Iranian Gen Z at school
0: taking off their hijab, showing their hair. And making some pretty offensive hand gestures at the ubiquitous images of Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini, who took hold of the country after the 1979 revolution. Flipping the bird at the picture of the supreme leader, or flipping over bird at Islamic Republic scrawled
1: in Persian on the blackboard, to see these kids so defiantly say that they don't want an Islamic Republic, whether it is through their actions or verbalizing it in their chants. I mean, this is huge. As someone that's grown up in Iran, I never thought I'd see that day.
0: But in what seems to be an effort by the current Iranian government to keep these videos from circulating, they've shut down WhatsApp and Instagram. So you may be wondering how people are still getting on the internet. Well, the shutdown's restrictive, but it's not a complete blackout, Holly says. There's no total internet shutdown in the way that there was in November 2019.
2: This central highway in Tehran was blocked by protesters on Saturday, a day after the government raised the price of petrol by 50%.
0: In 2019, protests broke out after an announcement by the Iranian government that they would be increasing the price of fuel. Persistent sanctions from the United States and the West crippled Iran's economy, separating it from much of the world. And increasing fuel prices made it worse. So people took to the streets. But Holly said the government's response to the protests was different then you weren't
1: really getting information out at all, except from um, people that had access to special internet that was used by universities or journalists. So there was straight up a blackout. And it took a good week for footage to come out. Security forces used that internet shutdown as a cover to arrest and kill thousands. So it's interesting that we haven't seen that total blackout in the same manner. And I, I think that, again, has something to do with The use of the internet as a form of income
0: and revenue. Being an internet influencer in Iran can be lucrative, just like it can be almost anywhere else. But it's not like getting on the internet is easy now. It is very tough for Iranians to get online. I should note that
1: 35% of the world's most popular websites, including social media websites like Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, are blocked, and Iranians use circumvention tools like virtual private networks or VPNs to surpass this censorship. And now, Holly says, those VPNs aren't working. So you're hearing stories
0: about people using dozens of VPNs just to get that information out to the world. And part of the reason is a new internet, quote, protection bill. Iran's parliament first tried to pass it a little over a year ago. When news
1: broke out that they were thinking about debating it, many Iranians were outraged. It would potentially separate Iranians from the international internet that you and I use, and they would be forced to use the domestic internet. They would no longer be able to share these videos that we're
0: seeing coming out of the country with these protests. At the time, the bill didn't pass. But Holly says that didn't stop Iran's hardline president from putting it into effect. Since President Abraham Raisi took office, this bill
1: has been secretly implemented, which is why it's almost impossible for Iranians to
0: get online and use VPNs. Iranian news reported the secret implementation not long before Masa Amini's death. And still, despite internet restrictions, so many Iranians are getting their voices out, thanks to a separate group of online influencers. One of the most prolific is 1,500 Tasfir, which has almost a million followers on Instagram alone. Tasfir is Farsi for picture, and the number stands for the 1,500 people reportedly killed in the protests in 2019. Their modus operandi is to highlight
1: the situation in the country. They're the ones that are actually documenting the photos, the videos, and amplifying them online. It's very important. Social media is the only way for Iranians to have their voices heard by the world. And it isn't just a news item. It's for human rights organizations and NGOs to document the atrocities that are being committed by security forces so that their government could be held accountable for what's happening on the ground.
0: Even this group, with all the images they're putting out, Holly worries about what they're up against. They're dealing with an authoritarian government and there's only so much that they can share without getting people in trouble. But there were girls, Gen Z girls, who did get into trouble. Girls who also made their voices heard online. Serena Zadeh. She was a 16-year-old vlogger. This is Serena in one of her vlogs. We are in need of joy and recreation good spirit, good vibes, good energy. In order to have these, we need freedom. This is where the conversation gets a bit dark, because some of the restrictions which are specifically put in place for women, such as mandatory hijab, so many restrictions don't exist for boys.
1: She liked to sing at the top of her lungs to hosers. take me to church. She was beaten to death by the security
0: forces. And then another girl, also a teen. Nika Shaw Karami, also, I think, 16 years old. Nika was filmed burning a scarf over a dumpster. But there are also other videos, Holly says.
1: A video of her just being an ordinary teenager, singing as well, doing ordinary teenager things. She disappeared for days before her body was found. It's devastating to watch, but what's even more tragic is that they've also pressured her family into forced confessions on state television. It's stories like this of Gen Z and the sacrifices that they're willing to make. They know full well that they'll be beaten to death by batons or shot with bullets, but They just keep moving forward. And if you ask them, some of the kids, that the protesters that I've talked to that are Gen Z, they'll say, well, every time one gets killed, more of us rise up.
0: The protests continue in Iran and also outside the country. After the break, how big is the social media surge? Who is driving it and why? Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast
1: by Al Jazeera. In Season 4, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world, and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: As memes and protest videos pour out of Iran, women around the world are also taking to social media in solidarity. From Europe to the US to Canada, they're cutting their hair in support. Stars like Juliette Bionash are also extending their support with this symbolic act. Holly says these acts of symbolism do a lot it gives them more
1: momentum to want to keep going. Whether that will pan out, it's really hard to say,
0: but they really see social media as the only way to have been heard. And the numbers seem to echo that response, at least at first glance. That's what Mark Owen-Jones at Hamad bin Khalifa University in Qatar says.
2: I am an associate professor in Middle East Studies and I focus on digital disinformation on social media.
0: Mark has figured out ways to find out if a tweet is from a person or not.
2: I developed methods to detect bots, automated accounts, and that just got me interested in finding other means of social media manipulation online.
0: And he's had plenty of tweets to keep him busy since the Iran protest broke out.
2: We've seen now 300 million tweets on the Massa Amini hashtag Persian, 200 million for context is massive. To give some other comparisons, Black Lives Matter in a period of six years gave about 63 million tweets. The word Ukraine, just the word Ukraine in English since February 24th, has appeared about 250 million times. So the hashtag Masa Amini in a period of a month is even outstripped to the word Ukraine. The volume is just, it's incredible. And the volume itself means we need to ask questions of where those tweets are coming from. This, of course, is not to turn to dismiss any of the very real feelings and the real protests on the ground, but clearly something is going on social media that would indicate coordinated behaviour, potentially inauthentic behaviour.
0: So who is so tweet happy? Where are all these tweets coming from?
2: That's a good question. Who is tweeting these things? OK, so let's start with the obvious one. Political activists, there's journalists, there's real people who are politically involved using this hashtag, right? Of course that's happening. What's very interesting, though, is There's this sort of unaccountable tweeting about this, fundamentally anonymous.
0: Meaning no profile picture, no location, very hard, if not impossible to trace. And then there are groups that are a little less anonymous, but maybe a little bit more surprising.
2: The BTS army. Uh, please bear with me because this sounds absurd. BTS is a Korean K-pop band responsible historically for creating huge Twitter storms, right? BTS and K-pop have a lot of followers worldwide and they were able to mobilise supporters in response to certain political events, usually related to social justice. So I believe the BTS army has been activated.
0: Fans of BTS often call themselves the BTS army.
2: So at least half a million tweets on the Masa Amini hashtag appear to be coming from BTS fan accounts.
0: One theory for all the BTS support is that one of the Iranian teenagers who was killed, Nika Shakarami, was a huge BTS fan herself. And the BTS army are rallying around one of their own.
2: BTS has a massive following in the Middle East. It's huge. Iran, they have a very young population, millions of BTS fans. And certainly when Nika was killed, they saw people then attempting to call back for more BTS support because Nika was such a fan. If anything, it's sustaining BTS interest in the cause.
0: Some of the other Twitter phenomena keeping the Masa Amini hashtag going are repeats, tweets that all say the same thing.
2: These accounts literally copy and paste identical texts, like a 22-year-old woman brutally killed by Iranian morality police. There's at least half a million of them.
0: And there are still other things Mark has never seen before, at least not on this scale. Just the hashtag Masa Amini and a number written out in Farsi.
2: And these numbers seem to go, I can't figure out what the pattern is, but the numbers go from 1 to 2,000. It's normal that people will come to Twitter and sign up for accounts when there's a political crisis, but a lot of the accounts, frankly, don't have any clear allegiance. They're just anti-regime. What it looks like is that someone has created a bunch of new accounts for the purpose platform manipulation. That's at least what I think is going on. And it implies coordination.
0: Then there is a whole different category of tweets and social engagement, Mark says. There has long been a number of groups, states and actors trying to control the online narrative when it comes to the Middle East, and particularly Iran.
2: There's obviously a lot of people who want to exploit the situation in Iran for their own interests.
0: One of the groups tweeting and posting in support of the protests with the hashtag Masa Amini is Mujahideen El kalq sometimes known as MEK. On Tuesday, October 18th, one official MEK account tweeted about the protests with the hashtag Masa Amini and Iran Revolution 2022.
2: Some people call it a cult, others call it a political opposition group. They were expelled from Iran for their activities. They blew
1: up parliament. They killed a number of senior Iranian officials and they had to flee.
2: And now they're headquartered in Albania. So the members, they were forced to sit in front of computers all day and engage on social media, creating multiple accounts.
0: MEK is focused on one thing, regime change in Iran. And the government still considers MEK a terrorist group. For years, they were also listed as a terrorist group in the U.S., but were later delisted as they found allies among U.S. politicians. They were particularly popular with associates of U.S. President Donald Trump.
2: John Bolton, Trump's national security advisor, historically he was always considered close to the MEK. And it was seen that Bolton was in favour of having someone like the MEK be the kind of ideal replacements for the current regime. And we've seen even Trump retweeting MEK-connected accounts. One of those
0: accounts was from this Twitter farm in Albania. Heshmat Alavi, a
2: self-described human rights and political activist with 30,000 followers on Twitter. Which was found out to be an MEK account run by three different people at least. It wasn't actually a person that existed, although it was using a single avatar.
0: It was embarrassing that the Trump administration was hoodwinked into believing this group of coordinated tweeters was a real activist proposing a credible alternative to the government of Iran. But the group is still active, still bent on regime change, and has now latched on to Mahsa Amini. Mark says the Trump episode is a reminder of how dangerous and deceptive social media can be.
2: If someone tweets something who's high up on authority, like the president, it's already an indicator that they have the ear of someone influential. Also then has this corollary thing where it in theory could make Trump supporters pressuring their congress people to support regime change in Iran there's a cyclical effect in potential in theory and this is the whole point of social media this is why influencers targeted to try and create this kind of public pressure
0: and other groups Mark says are taking a leaf out of the same book
2: we also know from documents leaked about 2 years ago that the Iran disinfo project which is essentially a project set up by the US state department was essentially funding this kind of propaganda campaign, but they were closed down after it was found out that they had people attacking U.S. citizens on Twitter for not being basically a maximalist in their position of Iran. In the past five years, we've seen lots of anti-Iranian propaganda coming out of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. So it's very possible that they're also engaged in relentless tweeting on these hashtags. And one of the most influential people I've seen emerge out of this is a Jerusalem Post journalist using this hashtag, and using the Iran protests as a stick to beat Palestinian opposition groups and Iranian-linked groups Hezbollah with.
0: At least one of these tweets was retweeted more than 10,000 times.
2: The fact that you have like loads of people retweeting these Israeli accounts is quite interesting, given the context. I think at the minute, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So these Israeli accounts are really trying to put them side on the sides of, in this case, Iranian women. And journalists seen as previously sympathetic to the Iranian regime are being attacked quite a lot. And also there's a U.S.-based NGO called the National Iranian American Council. One of the things they were trying to do, I suppose, was encourage the JCPOA agreement, seen as important in reducing sanctions. But it's also become a lightning rod. And a lot of the Israeli council were also attacking this. Um, You know, there's been some pretty horrific stuff out there, to be honest. And I think that's what's really important to remember, is that so much of the information coming out. On Twitter or otherwise, you need to approach it critically because people with different interests are all exploiting the situation.
0: And Holly agrees. One should tread lightly. But she doesn't want potential supporters to be scared off. I think the most simple thing is to follow the right people online. We're only a few weeks into these protests, she says.
1: You don't have millions of people out in the streets yet. The Iranian people don't need skepticism. I think they just need our support right now. Draw attention to what's happening in their country and let them decide their fate and what they want to do.
0: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Nagin Oliyei, Chloe K. Lee, Alexandra Locke, Ruby Zaman, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Hala Halamahiyuddin. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tim Sinclair mixed today's episode. Aya Elmaleke and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Nay Alvarez is our head of audio. We'll be back on Friday.